Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we get to have one of our own back, even if it's just for a couple of weeks. Father, we're thankful that we can gather together and worship together. We're thankful that we can sing and laugh. And we're thankful that we get to read a message that has been true for thousands of years. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we will have it on the screen, but also if you want to have your Bible. And this says, Paul is writing to the, the Christian church in Corinth. Now, before we read this, the church of Corinth, there was all sorts of issues. It's, it's one of those letters that was written to a church with a lot of issues. They, was, they were extremely divisive. Some people felt that they were better than other people. Some of the people um, treated other people like they were less than important or that the gifts that they were given, the spiritual gifts that God had endowed them with, were, were less good than some of the other ones. And so they established this hierarchy of, well, the people who can heal or speak in tongues are more spiritual and better than the people that maybe are just, you know, ushers and greeters or servers. And so there was this tension in this church because people just weren't gelling the way God would want them to, right? Because some were saying they were better than the others. And so Paul is writing to this very issue. And this is what Paul begins to say. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. The Greek word for gifts is spiritual things, spiritual persons. So what Paul is trying to get across by using this word of gifts is saying concerning everything that is spiritual. And what he means by that is for you as people of faith, for you who have accepted Christ into your life and are trying to live your life in following the methods and the ways of Jesus, this is concerning all of those things, and this is a message for you. And so he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, because some of the leaders were saying they were better than some of the people that weren't leaders in the church. And as I said, they had this hierarchy of who was more important than others. But the first thing that Paul wants to make clear is that in the Christian community, not just in this local Christian community, but in all Christianity worldwide, every single member is equal. In a church, yes, we have a pastor. Yes, we have elders and deacons. Yes, we have teachers. But everyone in the sight of God is equal. Because God has gifted each one of you not to lord it over someone else, but the reason that God gives you gifts and the purpose for which you are here is that we will see in a moment that you can give witness and testify to the power of God. You see, the purpose of our church and as we gather here, as we read through the scriptures, is because we want to continue to reimagine and recapture what it looks like that God is real and God is present and God is still working in our lives. And as we do that, we are to give witness to this to everyone all around. And so the purpose initially is to inform and to lay out for this Christian community. And, and we could even say, you know, just for fun, that, that he's writing to the, to the church in Orange. And so what Paul is doing is he is laying out the way things should be in light of what God intends things to be. So we're going to look at something pretty interesting here in a moment. Paul then goes on to say a few verses later, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit.
of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is God who activates all of them in everyone. And here's what I want to show you. Paul is saying that everyone has different gifts. Everyone serves in different ways. There are different ways to serve, and there's different activities. Within our local church, you can either pick up offering, or you can help with our lunch, or you can go and help feed the homeless, or if you're really brave, you can actually lead one of the children's Sabbath school classes, right? Children's ministry is by far the hardest ministry, I believe, um, because it is so essential and important to the life of these kids, and, and it's just not easy. But see, what, what Paul is saying is that every one of you is involved in different ways in the body of the church. But look at the words to the left. Paul says, yes, you may have different gifts, but it comes from the same Spirit of God. Yes, you may serve in different ways, but it comes from who? The Lord. Yes, there are different activities, but it comes from who? God. And what do we call God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? The Trinity. Do you think Paul just kind of started writing and hoped that everything would kind of come into place when he was done with this letter? If you have any of you ever written an email or a letter, do you just kind of write whatever, just you just kind of keep writing words, or are you intentional about what you are trying to say? You're intentional. Now, Paul was smart, he was highly educated. When Paul writes things, it's intentional, he does them with purpose. They're supposed to be that way. So when Paul writes this, what, he is, what he's actually doing is he is come, he's calling to mind, he's painting this picture of the Trinity. And so, he said, and, so, and, and so by bringing the picture of the Trinity, what God is saying is that just as the Trinity, and they would have understood that when he talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Spirit, right, that what Paul is doing is he is calling into account that the Trinity is a co-eternal community of love. How, how many of you, if I asked you right now, could you explain the Trinity, could you explain it perfectly? Can, can any of you? No, I can't. Because it baffles our mind. And remember, sometimes we don't have to understand everything exactly, like, like we don't have to understand how everything works in order for it still to be true. So however God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, however God is three in one, he is three in one. Now we may get to heaven and, and, and we'll find out exactly what all of that looks like. But what we do know is that the Bible uses kind of three different modes of God. God is God the Father, right? The, the one that we picture in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we picture God as a human and, and throughout both the Old and the New Testament, we picture God also as Holy Spirit, right? As, as the Holy Spirit goes wherever it wants to, and it fills us, especially in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that you, as a believer, are filled with the very Spirit of God. In our scripture reading that Angelica read, it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it is within you that God chooses to abide and chooses to live and so when we see that Paul is using this language of the Trinity, it's three, but it's one. And so somehow these three ways of God being God somehow make one. And do you know the best representation of what that looks like here today on earth? When two people get married. When two people get married, what are the things that we say? They, they become what? One. When people get married... 
they somehow make one. Now, do they somehow meld together in some kind of gelatinous form and become one person? No, that's weird, right? No, they become one because now the priority for each person is what is best for both. The wishes and desires of both now become the wishes and desires of each other. They become one because they make a commitment and a covenant, which is our wedding vows, to live as one and to do everything the best that they can, getting along because they know that the vows that they have made are not, also, are not just vows they've made to each other, they're vows they've made to God, but they become one. They cling to one another. And that is one of the best representations we have of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, three in one, is the marriage. That's why marriage is such an important aspect of our social, like of society. And then what happens? Then you have kids. And so we continue to see that what, when we talk about the oneness of God, so much of it is about that co-eternal community of love that God shows us through the marriage and through family. So when Paul is writing, and, and, and some of you are saying, like, I thought this was a sermon about the church, and here's why it makes sense. Just as Paul brings to mind the picture of three-in-oneness, just as we as humans understand marriage as two-in-one, Paul says that the church, the church here in orange, is also one. So there may be a hundred of us here this morning, but if we are to model our life after the Trinity, after the triune God who is this community of love, then we as a church must also be a community that loves well. And we also know if you've ever been in a relationship that no relationship is perfect, right? No, re actually, can you raise your hand if your relationship is perfect? Yeah. Relationships aren't always easy. They're not always perfect. And love actually takes some effort. And if that's true for every relationship that we have, then it must also be true for the church. Now, when, when Angelica was up here and we were asking her questions and, and, I, and I asked her, does she get a choice as to which orders she gets to obey or disobey? Right? If you disobey, what happens? Like, you get in trouble, you get to do push-ups, Depending on what orders, you might even be court-martialed, right? Like, it's bad, right? When your parents tell you to do something, do you really have a choice? Do you? I mean, you have a choice. You do. But you're going to get punished. Yeah. And my, growing up, we never, we never really had a choice. When your teachers at school tell you to do something, you know, you, you have an assignment that you have to complete, do you really have a choice? I mean, you do. You always have the choice not to do the assignment, but what's going to happen? You're going to get a bad grade, and then you're not going to pass the class, and then you're not going to graduate high school, and you're not going to go to college, and then you're going to be living under a bridge, you know, like that kind of. <laughs> and yet somehow, when it comes to what the scripture calls us to do, it's almost like, yeah, God, thanks for encouraging us to do some of these things, but we're going to go ahead and only choose to do the things that are easy. Isn't that what we do? We believe in a God who is gracious. So guess what, God? Today, I'm not going to show up because I don't really want to be service to others. I don't really want to be kind. I don't really want to forgive. Now, the truth is God is gracious, 
fortunately for us, God does forgive. God understands that we can't be perfect. But I would like us to be more and a non-militant, you know, like a non-militant marine, <laughs> where when Scripture calls us to be a certain kind of way, that it wouldn't be one of those things that is up for discussion, but that it would be something that we just do out of a loving relationship with God. Because your faith should always be not about a list of things you can and can't do. No one wants to be in a relationship where they have a list of things they can and can't do. And I know we do that, right? We do that in our lives. But we all want to be in a relationship with someone that gives us the freedom to be who we are. And when it comes to a relationship with God, God gives you the freedom to either choose to be more free or choose to be enslaved to things that are only going to steal and destroy your life. And as Christians and as we come to the scriptures as the pastor of this church, it is my challenge and it is my invitation to you that when we read scripture that we be and do what scripture calls us to do. And so I want to read verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now the Bible, and Paul here specifically, is saying that to each member of this church is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so we've talked about the Trinity and we've talked about how the need for us to be one and to come together as one. When we have communion, do you understand that when we have communion and when the Bible talks about communion, it was always one piece of bread. And from that one piece of bread, it was symbolic that because we're each taking a piece of that bread, we are all becoming one. Again, the oneness that brings all of you together isn't your interests, Right? It isn't your hobbies, but what brings every single person together in a Christian community is Jesus. And that is why we preach Jesus on a weekly basis. So Paul says this, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So I would like to think that I'm okay at preaching and getting up and talking and not getting that nervous when I'm in public speaking. So perhaps, rightly so, one of the gifts that God has given me is the ability to stand up here and not run off or faint or sweat profusely, which I'm actually sweating right now, right? But you see, this, the task of me as the pastor, the gift, isn't so I can puff myself up and be like, that's right, I'm the pastor, I know everything, so you have to do everything I say. No, for me, the gift of preaching is for the common good of the church. And what that means is that when I get up here to preach, it's not about making David feel good or making David feel better about himself or making him feel special because he gets to do this every week. But the common good would be that when we work, when I work on a sermon all week long, it's so that you can benefit from perhaps not being able to do the same kind of study. I mean, that's why, that's why they send us to school. That's why in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you have to have your Masters of Divinity. They won't just hire anyone off, off the street because they believe in the importance of the Scriptures and of understanding its context and of understanding what it's saying. So when I am up here, the common good would be that you all get a fresh word. You're hearing Scripture in a way that perhaps you haven't heard it or you're being reminded of something you should have known all along. And so for you, with your gifts, whatever the gift is for you, and I know some of you are saying, well, what's my gift? What are the spiritual assessments? And we've done spiritual assessments here. But here's the thing. 
They didn't have spiritual assessments for thousands of years. You see, the, the community, the church, allows you to continue to explore your gifts. But here's the thing. Your gifts are not just to serve within these four walls of this building. The gifts that God has given you, and what the Bible uses the word, the manifestation of the Spirit. When you use the gifts that God has given you, the tools and the resources that God has given you, the Spirit of God shows up. You see, people are always saying, well, I don't really believe in God because I haven't seen him. Well, I don't believe in God because he hasn't spoken to me. Well, I don't believe in God because you can't prove God exists. And all of those are true, right? You can't really prove God. You can't point to it and say, well, God's right there, right? Because people start thinking people are crazy if you start pointing to empty space. So we understand. But what the scripture tells us is that God shows up. God manifests himself when you use your gifts for the common good. So when you forgive, when you serve, when you ask for forgiveness, when you are generous with your resources, when you live the life of Jesus, God is showing up through the things that you are doing. So you may not be able to convince people that God exists, right? But you can show them that God lives within you by the way you live your life. You see, in many ways, you guys have an even greater responsibility than I do. I get up here and I preach. I'm preaching to the saints. You know, the Bible calls each one of you saints. You're a saint. Not because you're perfect, but because when God sees you, he sees that you have Jesus in you. When God looks at you, he sees his child. But you see, what's so much more important about the life that you live is all of you go out to different places throughout the week. All of you work in different places and you encounter different people. Some of you are, are so vibrant about how you live your life. And God is saying that the gifts that he has given you isn't just for the church. We're already like, we're saved already. We've already accepted Jesus. Like God's already been like, yes, good, thank you. You're not coming here to get more saved. You're coming here to learn from scripture, to praise God, to, to kind of commune. I don't like that word, to fellowship to create greater friendships between the people that are here but so that then you can go and leave this place and be the church everywhere you go which means that you are the church at the job that you don't want to go to which means you are the church when you're in line at the grocery store the other day and this is such a small 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 way but this is something we can all do i was at the drive-thru and I was getting a drink right here at the Starbucks, tea, of course, and um, I mean water. And I was there, and, I, and, I, and so the person ahead of me, I, was, I think I was getting a little bit like irritated because they were taking forever. And, and so I get up to the front, and I pull out my Starbucks app so that I can pay for my tea, and I show it to the lady, and she says, oh, no, no, the person in front of you already got you. They paid for you. It's like, I should have ordered the big size. <laughs> No, it's not true. Now, now, to some of us, that's like not a big deal, right? Like, oh, what's an extra dollar? But you don't realize that you have the power to positively impact every single person that you come in contact with. You don't realize that every interaction that you have is called a sacred encounter. 
when we come to this building, we call this building, right, it's sacred and we try to be reverent and that's why we're remodeling it because we wanted to, to show the very best of what we have in, in a humble way, but the best of what we have. But when you leave this place, you have the opportunity. Oh, I know that's what I was saying. Okay, so we tend to call this place sacred and churches are sacred. But the biblical understanding is that because the Spirit of God dwells in you, everywhere you go is sacred ground. Every interaction, every conversation, even if it doesn't feel spiritual, is a spiritual and sacred encounter. Now, we're not very good at this, and I'm the first one to say, like, I'm the worst at this because I'm super impatient about stuff, and so I just have to constantly remind myself. But everywhere you go, you are the church. Everywhere you go, you can impact the life of a person simply by how you live your life. And so I kind of, do I have a couple minutes? Okay, so we're going to go to, if you open up your red Bibles, there is this, there is this organizational kind of truth or theory that says that 80% of the work in any organization, we're turning to the book of Matthew, 80% of the work done in every organization is done by how many people? 20% of the people. Which means that it may also be true in our churches that 80% of the things that we do are done by perhaps only 20% of the people who are here. And I get it, we all have jobs. You guys have families and, and life is tough. But just like Angelica was up here showing us that she doesn't have a choice in the orders that she takes, I believe that as Christians, we should be even more accepting and ready to do the things that God is calling us to do, to serve without regard for ourselves. And when we are busy serving other people, I truly believe that the divisiveness and the issues we have with other people will slowly begin to fade. Because when we are on mission to be the people of God in a world that is desperately needs it, that the more effort and energy and thoughts and opinions that go into being the church, the better things will be. And so I want to just show you one last, one last little passage in Matthew chapter 20 that talks about what Jesus says about service. And I hope this will illustrate it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked Jesus for a favor. And he says, what is it? And she responds, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So these are the, one of the two of the 12 disciples. So she says, grand, tell me right now that one of these sons will sit at your right and the other will sit at your left in the kingdom. Now, if you're the king and you have someone to your right and you have someone to your left, those are like the most important people in the kingdom, right? So if you're close to the king, you have a little bit of the king's power and people will look at the, at the person to the right and to the left and they'll be like, that person is a person of power. We want that person to like us. And so what the mother of these two disciples says, please, please, please tell me that both of my sons will be at your right and at your left. Verse 22, Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. 
can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? And they respond, we can, they answered. Now this is the cup is a symbolic representation of, do you guys remember in, in the very last scene before Jesus is arrested, Jesus is in prayer and, it, and the Bible tells us that he has, that um, he tells when he's praying to God, he says, if there's any way for this cup to pass before me, please let this cup pass before me. The cup is of God's wrath, the, the cup of service, the cup of dying to ourselves in order for the common good of all people to happen. For Jesus, the cup represents that he would lay down his life so that you would have life. So when Jesus says, are you able to drink of this cup? What Jesus is asking is, will you be able to lay down your life? And they answered, we can, not knowing that's what he was saying. And Jesus responds by saying this, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to choose, wait, to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. Now we know that every single one of the disciples would ultimately be killed for preaching and for what they believed. So they did, in fact, Jesus knew that that would happen to them. So they did lay down their lives. Now, so that's the first part. Verse 24 says this. When the other ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, of course. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, or the non-believers, lord it over them, their power, right? I'm in power, you do what I say, I give the order, you must do it. So that's what Jesus is saying. And their high officials exercise authority over everyone. Verse 26, so this is God, so Jesus is saying, that's how the world is. People in charge tell the people under them what to do, and they must do it, and they don't have a choice, and if they don't do it, then there will be consequences. And that's how power works in the world. And Jesus, in verse 26, says this, it is not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, and I would say in the kingdom of God, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your what? Slave or your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, for us to be the church, for you as the church, as Jesus commands, we are not here to be served. We are not to be here with our hands extended wide and asking for more. But instead, the picture and the image that Jesus paints and that Paul would continue to, to hammer down and continue to drill through is that just as Jesus was a servant to all, you must also be a servant. Do not expect people to serve you, but you must serve. And I guarantee you, that if you serve your wife or your husband, I'm not just talking food, okay? But to have the attitude of service is to put them before you. If both of you are doing that, I guarantee you your marriage will change. If you learn to serve the people that you are working with, open doors, do a little extra of their work if you have to. Not too much, but just enough to show them that, you, that you're trying to serve them. Take the extra step when it comes to everything in your life. See, when you begin to be a servant to others, people begin to see. People then begin to gravitate toward those kinds of people because you are the church. 
And it is the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that is showing you and flowing through you and helping you to be the people that God always created you to be. And it's not just out there, but it must also be within these four walls. It must be the way we model and do everything here so that when we go out there, we will already know how to do it. So my invitation for you is that you would continue to serve and not expect to be served, to give and not expect anything in return. Because when we do that, the more we do that, the more we will give witness and testimony to the power of God. And as the scripture tells us, that when we do those good things, the spirit of God himself manifests himself in our presence. Next week, we'll, um, actually not next week, but the week after that, we'll continue the rest of that service, the rest of the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I didn't realize we would run out of time. Um, but I encourage you to continue to come back because this is really redefining and redescribing and reimagining what it looks like to be the church that God is calling you to be. And every one of you has a part. And we want you to be able to live the most abundant life that God has created you to live. For our closing song, it's actually one of my favorites. Um, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Talking about from the beginning of the day through our whole life till the very last day of our lives, an attitude that fills us of worship and gratefulness for the God that we have, for the God who loves us, and letting that be something that's ingrained inside of you when you look at your life, no matter it's the best moments or the, the lowest moments, that we have indeed been blessed by our God. So I pray this becomes your heart's prayer as well. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, I worship His holy name, I sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship His holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, I worship His holy name. I sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship His holy You're rich in love and your soul to anger. 
Your name is great and your heart is kind. All your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Oh, my soul, I worship His holy name. I sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship His holy strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your grace unending ten thousand years and then forevermore forevermore so bless the Oh, my soul, I worship His holy name. I sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship His holy name. So bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. I worship His holy name. I sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship His holy name. I worship His holy name. Lord, I worship His holy name. 